Hello and welcome to our Risk and Resilience podcast. I'm Harriet Redwood, Senior PSL in our corporate team here at Slaughter and May. I'm joined by Andrew Jolly, Head of Risk at the firm and corporate partner, Johnny Cotton, partner and co-head of our Global Investigations Group, and Ian Johnson, partner and head of our Restructuring and Insolvency Group. As part of Slaughter and May's Horizon Scanning series, we're going to look ahead to the key trends we'll be keeping an eye on in our Risk and Resilience theme in 2023. Although Risk and Resilience has been a focus for several years now, it is of even more importance in these increasingly turbulent times. This theme potentially encompasses a multitude of topics. However, in this podcast, we're going to focus on a few of the areas which we think will be particularly relevant over the next year. Financial stress, enforcement and litigation risk. Let's start with the deteriorating macroeconomic environment, which necessitates a range of novel considerations for business, including around reporting. Andrew, what are we seeing um, in relation to this? Thanks, Harriet. I'm not sure I'd say novel, certainly in terms of the implications for kind of corporate clients, but there are kind of really important points coming out of kind of a difficult current economic situation and our expectations for 2023 and perhaps beyond. You know, clearly we're currently reversing out of a lengthy period of QE and low interest rates and there are numerous significant headwinds for clients to contend with. It's hard to crystal ball games, but if I put things into two buckets, I think. The first is financial reporting generally. Financial reporting just becomes more challenging in uncertain times. The FRC has provided guidance on what it's looking for in financial reporting next year. And that focuses very much on the risks and changes in the business environment and how those risks and uncertainties have been reflected in the company's strategy, business model, go and confirm, focus on viability assessments. And why I say not novel is this isn't particularly new. You know, people will recall that it was the same focus during the COVID pandemic. And actually, the FLC has said that too and reminded people of the guidance it issued in 2020 and 2021. Different circumstances, but the same principles. Bearing in mind also that these financial challenges may have an impact on the financial position of the company, another important thing to keep on top of, especially in volatile markets, is judgments around inside information and particularly what financial and strategic information might constitute inside information. And to make sure that corporates have kind of appropriate systems and controls in place and continue to monitor the types of judgments which can change over time in different circumstances that we need to consider when we're considering whether there is inside information in respect of the company. And during 2022, in the last 12 months, there's a slight cautionary tale there in the terms of the FCA enforcement action against Sir Christopher Ghent, a matter arising in 2018, but with the enforcement notice and decision issued in August 2022. And it underlines the importance of ensuring that directors are continually thinking about inside information, keeping an eye on the group's financial performance and market expectations in that regard, and thinking about whether information that the company has constitutes inside information. It's really important at times like this to plan for a range of scenarios earlier than anticipated, audit, full year, half year processes being important uh, points in the financial calendar for doing so. Thank you, Andrew. 
Um, another thing uh, aspect is around financing. Ian, what are we seeing in this area? I think the key takeaway on refinancing is that it's going to remain a very challenging market in 23 and 24. What, what we are seeing is that it's only really the very strong credits that are able to sort of refinance with ease. The other financing markets, such as the leveraged and high yield markets, remain closed, which means that if you do have a refinancing or a covenant issue coming out within the next 12 to 15 months, that will need very careful planning and engagement both with your auditors but also with advisors to look at the, the range of options that are available. It, it is unclear when refinancing markets will start to normalize, but the general view is that we're going to be in more of a permanent state of a focus on less leverage and higher costs of refinancing. And the approach that auditors are taking in terms of the, the level of stress testing um, remains very focused on ensuring that risks and uncertainties are properly reviewed and that boards are looking at the full range of options. Those options, if existing lenders won't support, will likely require further focus on things like alternative financing through ABL routes, credit funds, uh, and potentially looking at other mitigating actions like non-core disposals. So the key takeaway is to look at that need for advanced planning so that you don't lose out on options from not having started the preparation early enough. What we are seeing if existing lenders are being asked to sort of provide breathing space is that they will look for sort of more enhanced monitoring on the borrowers during this period and they will focus on setting covenants to preserve enough runway to ensure that there is an ability to test the markets through an M&A process. And I think many banks have been pleasantly surprised that because a lot of trade buyers have cash on their balance sheets, that they are able to sometimes exit fun financing relationships through that means. But it does go back to directors' duties of ensuring that you're looking at all of the relevant options. And if it is necessary, to look at less conventional ways to refinance to make sure there's appropriate time to stress test that options and engage with stakeholders to get to the right solution. Thank you, Andrew and Ian. Um, so, Johnny, let's move on to the enforcement landscape moving into 2023. What are the key points to note on that front? Thanks, Harriet. I, I think the, the interesting thing for me is, you know, there's been a relatively fallow period for enforcement um, in the last few years. In the immediate, well, over and in the immediate wake of the pandemic, I think that there are signs of increased urgency from from various agencies. I think that's partly caused by things like the economic downturn, um, as well as the, the the issues coming out of of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Sort of slightly more prosaically, I guess there's going to be changes of senior personnel at both the SCA and the SFO. Mark Stewart, who's the director of enforcement at the FCA and Lisa Rosowski, um, who's director of the SFO, are both stepping down this coming year. And in particular, later this year, when, when Lisa Rosowski does stand down, the change in leadership at the, the SFO will inevitably draw analysis as people look for any changes in the strategy and the vision of the SFO. I think 
it's widely acknowledged over the last few years, the trend has very much been towards a reduction in the absolute numbers of the SFO's cases. Um, they've resolved a lot of, of, of cases either by closing them, by deferred prosecution agreements, or in some cases um, by charging and obtaining convictions. There have been notably fewer additions to the list. So are we going to see more cases under a new direction, uh, under, sorry, under a new director? We shall see. I think the other interesting question is, is on enforcement front is what the areas of focus of the agencies will be in the coming year. I expect a continuing focus on the money laundering issues, particularly by the FCA. On the SFO side, I'm sure there'll be more bribery cases because they seem to be the, 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 the current sort of area and have been for a period now of fruitful work for the SFO. But also, I think given what we've heard about financial stress, it will be interesting to see whether there's a resurgence in false accounting type cases, companies that have played fast and loose with accounting rules to, to mislead people. I think the, the other interesting area is around sanctions, which obviously is linked to what I've been saying around money laundering issues and Ukraine. Um, obviously, the, the financial um, sanctions area is enforced not by the FCA or the SFO primarily, but by OFSI. They are tooling up for greater enforcement. Um, but will it actually happen? Um, I think they've been overwhelmed. They're a relatively small agency. Um, they've had a lot to do in putting new sanctions regimes in place, in considering applications for, for licenses. Historically, US sanctions have been the, the world leader when the EU and UK have been a sort of secondary consideration. So it remains to be seen, I think, whether we're about to see a sea change in this regard. Uh, obviously, it's only just catching up uh, in getting the sort of sanctions regime in place. There are relatively few penalties, and those penalties that have been imposed are comparatively light. Uh, as we also are aware, the novel application of strict liability to civil sanctions breaches will be a particularly interesting question to see how that plays out in practice. Law you know, is around strict liability, or I think obviously has said or indicated that they won't pursue sort of innocent breaches, except in cases of obvious negligence. And it's almost inevitable that there will be breaches within large companies. And Harriet, if I could quickly jump in there uh, on that point on sanctions and there being strict liability, it's a point, of course, that came up at our client seminar the other week discussing uh, next season's kind of annual reporting and AGM season. You know, under the the rules that Johnny was discussing and the sanctions, then companies are prohibited from paying dividends to a person who's a designated person and as Johnny said liability is strict so there's been kind of some debate and discussion about also whether a designated person being allowed to vote on certain types of resolution would breach the UK sanctions regime so it's a question of what companies kind of do about that and protect themselves against it and it where we've landed is a level of investigation prior to kind of shareholder meetings or the obvious example being AGMs is appropriate that level kind of depending very much on the facts uh, and that companies should take a proportionate approach. There's no need to section 793 everybody uh, generally, but some thought needs to go into undertaking some analysis of your shareholder register in the circumstances together with your registrar to the extent that shareholders are the big financial institution nominees, then one can take comfort that they will have section checked kind of underlying interested parties. In other cases, if there are shareholders on your register that you do not recognise that 
may or may not be sanctioned or there may or may not be reason to believe they could be, then some further investigation may be required. Um, thanks, Andrew and Johnny. So on to our final area, litigation risk. Johnny, so-called class actions have been a growing area for some years now. Does that remain the case? Yeah, I think it does. I think we are seeing a maturing landscape in the UK litigation market. They are undoubtedly now an established part of our landscape. And I think that, that we see them in a number of different areas. One is the competition class action regime, which is very specific and is, is the closest you'll get to a specific class action regime that, that might be recognised by a US lawyer. But the important thing is the claimant law firms and litigation funders have continued to test the boundaries of the current regime. People will probably have heard of Americ's judgment, which appeared to encourage uh, claimant lawyers and funders to use the, the, the regime. And that is seen, I think, more and more cases being brought as standalone cases um, for abuse of dominance rather than follow-on cartel damages actions, which I think is indicative of the, the growing level of confidence among claimant lawyers. Now, we did have the Lloyd and Google case, which has sort of shut down a procedural avenue for how these cases can be brought, but they don't seem to be putting off the claimant lawyers and the funders who are bringing claims under novel theories and and getting them off the ground and being able to, to litigate them. So we are seeing these claims in the non-competition space continuing. So, you know, there are you know, a number of, of developments here and the sands are continuing to shift and they're continuing to shift, I think, in favour of, of claimant law firms and class type actions in the UK. Thank you, Johnny. So we've touched on financial stress, enforcement and litigation risk, three aspects of the risk environment on which we expect to focus during 2023. That brings us to the end of this podcast and thank you to Andrew, Johnny and Ian and all of you for listening. For more information on this topic or to hear our other podcasts, please visit slaughterandmay.com. You can also subscribe to the Slaughter and May podcast on iTunes or Google Play. Thank you and goodbye for now. For more information on this topic or to hear our other podcasts, please visit www.slaughterandmay.com. You can also subscribe to the Slaughter and May podcast on iTunes or Google Play.